Really thankful for uh, Dan and others who helped cuddle whilst uh, Carolyn and I were away last week. Uh, we had a really nice break. Got to see a little bit more of British Columbia, which was nice. Um, we're really appreciative of uh, Dan covering and his uh, leading and preaching last week. I was blessed as I listened to that. I hope many of you were too. And thank you to the band for uh, um, being as flexible as you have today in uh, preparing for and leading us in our worship this morning. I've been talking about the importance of light. We've sung about that in some of the songs we've sang. Jesus says in John's Gospel, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Believe in the light, that you may become sons and daughters of light. Light is important. A couple of weeks or so ago, I talked about the light of our experience in Christ. And today, I want to talk about how we are transformed through the light of engaging in fellowship. The biblical Christian word which uh, we don't always thoroughly grasp the full significance of. Now, at one point, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. At another point, he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. I can kind of imagine the guys getting together, screwing their heads a little bit, and turning to Jesus and saying, well, what is it, Lord? Is it us? Are we? Or are you the light of the world? Who is it? And he just looks at them and says, yes. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are the light of the world. Are you receiving that? This is the heart of what fellowship is, that we would encounter light, the light of Christ in one another. In fact, this is the most significant part of our spiritual formation and growth into Christ's likeness. There's a wonderful promise that Paul reminds us of when he says, and my God, it's one of the few if only examples where he says, my God, because he has a conviction about his God. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This same Jesus who we've encountered as we've worshipped today, as even on our own, in the silence, in stillness, the one who meets with us. He also wants to bless, to encourage, and to change us as we encounter him in one another. How about that? That is equally as powerful and significant to the Lord. Just stop and think about that for a moment. I am changed as I encounter Christ in you not just in the air. This is the mystery once hidden, now revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But it's not just for us. It's ultimately for the glory of God. Now, another verse that the Apostle Peter says this in his first letter. He says, each of you, and in a way he's reflecting on this reality of light, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So this glorious riches that Paul is speaking about, 
really equate to these aspects or facets of God's grace towards us. Things like his acceptance of us. You know, we're all a little bit different, aren't we? Look around. We're all a little bit different, aren't we? That person you turned to and said, you are the light of the world. They're a little bit different from you. I'm a little bit different. But we also think differently. We actually believe differently. Some of you, when you walked in and looked at that list of things, some, some of you, your heart will have leapt and you thought, thank goodness we're doing this. Others would have thought, why, why on earth are we doing this? Because we're different. But to, ac to be accepted by the Lord and to become accepting of one another, sharing the manifold goodness of God with one another, means that we do that. We meet each other where we are. Facets of His grace include encouragement, comfort, that we would respect and honor and value one another in our differences, in our politics, Whoa. in our theology, in our practice of how we raise our kids, what we eat, what we don't eat, of our sexual orientation. Are we still accepting? Are we still administering God's grace? Lord, help us. I wonder if you can think of an example where somebody has blessed you with either uh, being accepted by them or encouraged in some way or comforted. I read a book on our trip and it was a friend of mine that I used to work with back in England and he's start, I've shared with one or two, he started writing some fiction and um, this was a second in a trilogy of books. And I'm reading this book because it just came out, bought it on Kindle, and I, I read it rather quickly. And I was, I was in tears reading this book. And just God renewing something, uh, just in, in, in a way as he kind of reflected around the nature of the cross. And he's using story and imagination for all of this. Um, but it took me back to a time when this same guy who wrote this book was a great encouragement to me and comforted me through a, a most difficult time in ministry. And so I wrote to him and just, just sent off an email and just thanked him. And um, he very graciously responded and we kind of went backwards and forwards a little bit. And not only did I get to share how much he meant to me and the experience of comfort and encouragement that I received through him and acceptance for that matter, um, but I was also able to encourage him because you see, this is how it happens. As light invades our lives through one another, we become light givers and light bearers ourselves, which is what it means to love. And this is how it finds expression, I would say. And as we are encouraged, as we are comforted, we're challenged to become comforters, encouragers, acceptors of one another. I wrote a little bit about this. I had a great opportunity to comfort Carol, my wife, this holiday when I hurt her. And you can do that. I don't encourage you just to hurt so you get a chance to comfort, by the way. That's not how it's meant to go. However, we're all capable of doing that with one another. I want to just take a moment and turn to somebody near you, reflect of an experience perhaps where you have either been encouraged or comforted or accepted by somebody 
or you've had an opportunity to do that to them. Can you think of an experience of this facet of God's grace at work through another person in your life? In part, it's what being the light of the world means, that it comes down to earth and is expressed in acts of care and compassion to one another. Now, not only is this a fascinating thing, it's a transformational thing. What actually transforms us the most is when we give light to others. We love to receive light, of course. Although I was talking with somebody this week who said, I find it actually harder to receive from people than give to them. Anyone relate to that? Yeah, many of you. That's interesting, isn't it? Because none of us can come to eternal life without receiving. That's why many struggle to do that, because we have to humble ourselves and ask and receive something that we're unable to do for ourselves. Jesus said, freely you have received. Has anyone received anything freely from God? Therefore, freely give. It is not meant to end with you, the light. We're to give it away. I love my... my in this trip to Argentina, and they were fond of that saying. They kept saying, give it away, give it away, in this wondrous Argentinian accent. Freely you have received, freely give. So true fellowship, shared everything, really, is mutual. It's both a giving and a receiving. It's accepting those who are different among us, even those who might upset us because of their behavior or habits or patterns. It's comforting and being comforted rather than just trying to fix one another with a good little scripture or truth that somebody needs to get a hold of. It's actually attention. It's entering people's words. One of the great things Dan did last week, he invited you to, to share about your different hats, different aspects of your life, and perhaps one that has been most meaningful. That's about attention. And to give care to one another as we listen and respond may inconvenience us. But who said this Christian life is convenient or comfortable for that matter? Though we would like it to be so. And in many ways, these experiences and the, this call upon us challenges us at times. And at times we come face to face with the reality of our flesh. What the Bible likes to call our flesh. And sometimes the, the ugliness of our self-centeredness or our self-focus or our preference for things or our like to be in control or managing my own time. And yet God calls us out of these things. And our only hope, our only hope in this is through the experience of the Spirit of God in us who changes us from one degree of glory to the next. It's not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the prophet. We don't work these things up. And one of the reasons I invite Jan to share that rather extended read from Nehemiah is we've been reading through Nehemiah during our midweek studies. Has anyone been to one of the midweek studies? Yeah, one, one, one or two fellow Nehemiah heights amongst us. I love the, I love the story and I love that book. And it's fascinating what we drew out of that. But 
here's a powerful picture of um, a city, Jerusalem in ruins, a man with a passion to see the city built up. And we, we spoke about how the church is the new Jerusalem. That's what we read of in the book of Revelation. It's, it's the city coming down out of heaven to the earth. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we're about the work of building the walls. It's what Isaiah calls the walls of salvation. It's the work of building up the body. And yet in the story of Nehemiah, how God did a miraculous work that in 52 days they rebuilt in the face of enemies of whom they were afraid. And yet Nehemiah stirs them up, encourages them to work together in family units and in groups and to be available to one another when the need was there. Surely a beautiful picture of how the body of Christ can work. Being transformed through fellowship brings blessings into our life. When we engage in this, when we realize that we're not individuals, that actually our salvation is not to be found in just me and God doing our thing together. It was never meant to be like that. It's like Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You need one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. You can't say also, you need me. But... <laughs> Do you believe that? So some of these blessings, we are blessed when we engage in authentic fellowship because we start to see Christ as he really is. We start to see Christ as he really is. That, that uh, reading from John, no one has ever seen God. This is our reality. Who is God? The God many people have rejected is the same God I would reject because he's not the God of the scriptures. And herein lies the challenge. We've not seen him. But, John says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So there's, there's the transformational process of as we choose to love one another, that we experience him being made perfect in us as we give it away. But in that moment, we start to see more of the reality of who he is as beneficiaries ourselves. When I am accepted by somebody in the face of my shortcomings and failings, I am more in touch with God's acceptance of me. When I get to experience somebody's compassion because I'm struggling and hurting, I can believe in a God of all compassion who loves me in a similar way. But if I never get to experience it in the flesh, so to speak, in human relationship, it's really hard to believe upon a God who is like that. We all need God with skin on. Secondly, we experience the blessing of understanding more about our true identity. Anyone struggle with a sense of your new identity in Christ and all that that means for you and all the freedom that is yours, all the future that is promised? Anyone kind of struggle to get a hold of that and believe it and live out of it? This is a real challenge to us, isn't it? Because we believe lies, sadly. Fellowship helps us with this. The world, you see, wants to sell us the lie that we are defined by and our worth is based upon our performance and our possessions. It's what I like to call hoodooism. You are what you do, and particularly how much you earn and get to keep. 
And I think one of the, the things that the Spirit wants to do is break our bondage to this lie. Genuine fellowship, a fruit of the gospel. When we bless and love and care for one another, for people who don't even deserve it. That's all of us, by the way. It reinforces our sense of identity in Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But yet an equally important verse from John also, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, there it is. It's like coming in, but it's like going out. This is fellowship. This is having things in common. And the more that we give ourselves to that, the more the truth of who we genuinely are because of Christ will become a reality to us. The third blessing is that we get to understand the significance and the experience of loving those nearest to us. This life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's actually, maybe a relay race would be a good, idea, a good picture of it. But we're, we're in for the long haul. And why we need one another is to be encouraged, as the writer Hebrews says, towards love and good deeds. Now, we need that especially, I would suggest, if we're to express the love and grace of God with those we spend the most time with. If we're married, our spouse, if we have them, our children or grandchildren, our friends, those closest, those who have the greatest potential to upset us. And yet, when we persevere in that place, we experience the blessing of loving those nearest. The next blessing is that we get to partner together in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. In fact, our fellowship, our love for one another, our laying our lives down for one another is the primary, I think, witness to the reality of the gospel and is the most transformational gift we have to offer to those who don't yet know Christ. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. It's about this caring connectedness with one another, but it also means partnering together for a greater purpose beyond ourselves. I often say this to married couples. You're not married just for yourselves. It's for a greater purpose. You're part of something so much bigger. And we are part of the purposes of God in the earth. And when we join together, not just to be together, but to, be, to participate in God's eternal kingdom purposes, part of which is the discipling of all people groups, the nations to whom we are sent. But our effectiveness in this is going to be somewhat contingent upon our experience of authentic connection and fellowship as we leave behind our self-reliance, our hiddenness, because we all carry within us riches which are to be shared, riches of his grace that have been deposited. And then finally, the blessing of being loved through our imperfections, through Reproof and correction. Oh, I thought there'd be a cheer at that point. You know, you know, one of the greatest gifts in fellowship is that we get to hear the truth. 
The problem is we don't like the truth. But it's the truth that liberates us, the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that helps us appreciate the fact that I don't have to be good enough. I have to just receive and continue on the path. And I need others to help me and give me feedback and to point out when I drift from the path and it affects other people. A friend of mine, he, um, back in Austin, because as a student, he was deeply impacted by a, a, being a part of a community of people in a house, sort of an extended community. But he says, you know, Mike, no community can exist without times of feedback from one another and reconciliation. And any group of people together for not too long, eventually you're going to start upsetting and missing things with one another. And if we don't create space in our fellowship for authentic feedback, not to punish or to judge one another, but to compel and call each other to the life of Christ to which we've committed ourselves. And we need that. The challenge is to receive critical feedback can be challenging. Who thought the Christian life wasn't challenging? Who's ready for reproof and correction? I guess in one hand, one hand. Now to do that without love, acceptance, forgiveness, reassurance, of course becomes very scary and some of you have experienced that. But actually to do acceptance and love and reassurance without critical feedback is also not good for us. It's enabling at times. It's not healthy because it's not honest. But you see, we're a people who are complete. Part of our identity is realizing that we're seated with him in the heavenly places, that actually everything is done. There's nothing to strive for. There's simply something to rest in. This is the truth. And therefore, in that place, I can own my foibles and my shortcomings for the benefit of being better equipped to love the people God has put me amongst. At least that's the theory. But I believe with all my heart, this is the work of the Spirit amongst us. I think, I think Dan had this passage read from John 8. The woman caught in adultery. And, and Jesus' wonderfully accepting words, neither do I condemn you. Here we have it, the full covenantal faithfulness of God expressed in loving acceptance. However, with it comes the caution, go and leave your life of sin. You see, both go together. It's covenant and kingdom. Our foundation is full acceptance, which is why we have to practice that light and give it away. Which is why we need encounters with the living Christ, but also with the light in one another to remind us of the truth that we lose sight of. Let's pray.